Bonjour, film lovers. Did you know that you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio? We also have a website, realnerdspodcast.com, where you can find cool articles and other ways to listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on social, Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast, and Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us at 720-6NERDS5. We will listen to it, we will play it, and we will probably commentate on it. Also, email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy the episode. This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Fan Expo, maybe? I am Ryan. With me is Brad. Hey. Zach. Fan Expo. I miss Pop Culture Con. And Corinne. Cody. Every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. This week, we saw the epic showdown of Godzilla. V Kong. Hey, 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 hey. Versus Kong. Come on. <laughs> I'm being hip. Doi. No, 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 you don't. <laughs> um, I, to say, I, oh, I was just going to say, I watched the movie the day it came out, and I kind of forgot that was our movie of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that movie left such a, a small impression on my brain. I guess oh, I just. Correct. I'll get no. into why I've been busy with other things today. Better Fair. things. Okay. Are we done? Fuck. Please continue, Ryan. Huh? Please continue, Ryan. Thank you, Brad. Take, take, take um, charge of this thing. That's right. Uh, every week I real nerds... Oh, I already said that part. So you didn't fuck me up. <laughs> well, uh, tell you if you should see the film or not. Play the trailer and then spoil the film. Uh, we also talk about movies that are coming out on Blu-ray. Movies we've been watching. Movie news. Um, you know, we did this thing that Corinne had us sign up for, which was Movie Madness 2021, where we pick our favorite Disney films and then we pit our own Disney films against each other to make it through the bracket, which isn't, which isn't in the, uh, in the spirit each of, of us it had at, our own division. Wait, let me that way, everybody spiel, had a movie let in the semifinals. Um, so, so I was going against myself. So I really didn't care until I got to, um, the semifinals with Brad, with, uh, him and I going head to head with Ratatouille. And why I wanted our movies to always go against each other is because if you're following me and Brad throughout the day, we were making fun of each other, calling each other assholes, um, wanting our movie to win. I saw some very clever uses of Pinocchio gifts in the middle of this argument. That's right. Spreading lies about um, the movie's content. <laughs> yeah. Sabotaging oh. the Twitter post. It was a great time. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's why we go against each other every round. Anywho. So... Yeah, um, I was there's like ten minutes left in the in the voting, and on Facebook it was tied fifty fifty, and uh, on Twitter I think I was the only one who voted for Pinocchio, and Brad had like five or six. So I went into uh, the police department. I said, "Hey, everybody, bust out your Facebook page and vote for Pinocchio." And so I won in the last five minutes because I forced everybody in the police department to vote. 
Wait, 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 uh, wait, wait, right, Ryan. You enacted like a Brooklyn Nine Nine plot in yeah. the middle of this movie madness. Yeah. So it back <laughs> it backfired though because when the finals came around, people that helped me get to the finals voted for fucking Beauty and the Beast. Damn straight. <laughs> and then I kept on like pleading with my wife to vote and she never voted i said can you just do this one thing for me and she said we've been together for 12 years and this is the one thing you want me to do for you is vote for pinocchio i said yes and she didn't even fucking do it gosh i mean she's saving it for when you'll actually need it (laughs) that's a pretty huge card to pull i wouldn't waste it on this yeah no i don't need her i don't need her for anything else i just want bragging rights well, you can wait till next March and hopefully you win then. Screw March, just do April Madness. It's all about horror movies. Get started on it, Ryan. Done. We are gathering that me, shit. We are gathering your list. Day. I'll have like my number one against Zach's number four so that we can like yell at each other the whole time. Oh, God. That's not. <laughs> See, if we'd have done that, then everybody who would have gone up against Zach would have won. Because well, his... like, look, I I knew I wasn't going to make any headway because I picked um, the best movies. So I don't know. The Jungle Book actually scored really high. Well, yeah, yeah, that one. And that was his number are... three. That's my number three. Yes, so, of course, because so I ranked these correctly. Against your number two. What was your number two, Corinne? Uh, what was my number? Oh, Coco. Yeah, Jungle Book would have totally have won. I'm just saying. No, it wouldn't have. Yeah, Coco it would have. totally would have won. Uh, no, yeah, it's just, it might nope. be tough. Maybe tough. I no, I, here's the thing: it's the Jungle Book is really sentimental. A lot of people like the same mm-hmm. thing with like Robin Hood. Critically, it's not as well received as most other Disney films. But if you talk to a lot of people, they love Robin Hood. Oh, they yeah. love the Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. It's like the great mouse detective didn't do better. Yeah, I I attribute that to people not understanding what good Sherlock Holmes homages are. But well, that's I don't don't think I would call the great mouse detective like a a Disney um, classic at all. It is to me, Ryan. It is, and that's and that's fine. (laughs) That's one of the better dark age movies for sure. Sure, but it's also in the same period with you know Oliver and Company and. Yeah, those are a little bit more up, um, uh, up, up people's uh, alleys in terms of hip and cool, you know. Um, yeah, and then I, oh, and I, I take also the Great Mouse Detective over Oliver and Company any day of the week. Well, no, I'm I'm saying they're that from that same era where mm-hmm. yeah, the, they're the, for, they're they're, they're forgettable. Really, I'm not trying to yeah. be an asshole, but what in I the wouldn't gr- say the Great Mouse Detective is forgettable. It has one of the best Disney villains of all time. It, yes, it, yeah. it isn't. Well, it isn't Corinne, Corinne, but in the you, grand scheme of pop culture and the Corinne, history, yeah, Corinne, you don't count because you're a Disney fanatic. You don't count. Yeah, you I mean, ask you ask normal people. Like if you walk up to uh, a lady who worked for me, Danielle. If you walk up to her and say, "Hey, would you rather watch the Great Mouse Detective or the Jungle Book?" The Jungle Book's going to win every time. Because it's been more, it's been more popularized through Disney's marketing yeah, strategy. Exactly too. Because if you go, I mean, I have uh, Disney's greatest hits, mm-hmm. and I think there's three or four Jungle Book songs on there. Not there's one from Great not Mouse one Detective. Mouse Detective song. Well, because yeah. Great Mouse Detective isn't a fucking musical, Ryan. Oh, easy, it's, Corinne. It's Jesus not, fucking Christ. It, it, um, 
<laughs> it's got one song number and that's it. Listen, I know. I'm just saying, but Zach's right. They don't market it. I mean, when's the last time you saw anything for the great mouse detective, even their Blu-ray for it's like second rate. Yeah. It's, I mean, they, they give Disney's more problem. Not mine. They've even given more attention to my top two. And that's only because of posterity, because it is part of the original, like big chunk that Disney himself. Yeah. Worked. No, I agree. Uh, and, and also, Ichabod and Mr. Toad technically has a popular song in it, but it's but it's the one. It's 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 the Headless Horseman song. That's about yeah. it. Yeah, and you know, th- I think same thing with that film. That film didn't really even get recognition until I don't know. That's Blu-ray is not even that old. Well, yeah, <laughs> D- kind of- Dis- I think Disney's Halloween treat really um, showcased the Ichabod or the, the Ichabod Crane segment a ton in the late eighties, early nineties. Like that's how I got exposed to it. I didn't even know it was packaged with Mr. Toad <laughs> like when I was a kid until I started looking up Disney history um, and fun and fancy free has some memorable songs, but they are not marketed. But, like, but in too, fun and fancy free is too niche. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's like it's, if I put the three caballeros on there, no one, I love that movie, but no one's going to ever vote for it. Yeah, no, I, and I, I, I I knew that going in when I selected it, but I was just like, I'm speaking from my heart here. These yeah. are the ones that I enjoy the most. And that's all you have to do. Exactly. Who Look, I get it. Not everybody's going to enjoy the strange story of ventriloquist dummies riffing on Jack and the Beanstalk. Like, nobody's going to get it except for me. It's fine. <laughs> I remember watching that Jack and the Beanstalk short when I was a kid. That's the only part of Fun and Fancy Free I've ever seen. Have you? But you probably haven't seen it narrated by Bergen and McCarthy. You've seen it narrated by Ludwig. Um, I don't know. I could find the VHS for you if you want. Yeah, if it's the Fun and Fancy Free VHS, then you saw it there. As I, as I'm getting older too, I realize that it is definitely the best Bergen and McCarthy film ever because everything else is loaded with terrible problematic imagery. <laughs> but um, I rest my case. Fun and Fancy Free, greatest Disney movie ever made. Bam, argument over. Anyway, <laughs> I will say that I was surprised of how beloved uh, Ratatouille is. Like, I love Ratatouille, but it's pretty well loved. Mm. It is. It is. Patton Oswald, that's what Patton Oswald is mostly known for. I would have to argue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know him as a stand up and an all around legend, but most people around uh, younger than us are going to be like, oh, Ratatouille. Like, I will say Ratatouille is like, what? 10 something years old or whatever but it's yeah. a movie that's really held up i feel like it's only gotten better with age like fine wine yeah also oh. thanks or for making me cheese. feel old corinne <laughs> yeah, initially uh critics were like gross a movie about rats you know making food audiences <laughs> won't like that and we showed them <laughs> and as at disney world they're opening up a whole new ratatouille um ride see people love that movie in the in Epcot in the French neighborhood, and the ride is you ride around on little Remy's, and it's that scene where he's running through the kitchen. So like you go through Aww. the kitchen as like on on Remy. Oh, is it nice. like one of those uh, yeah. uh, uh, railless rides, like the one we saw for that Mickey ride video? Yeah, so it's yeah, it's the same technology that Mickey, uh, Minnie, and Mickey's runaway Mickey and Minnie's runaway railway is. Yeah, okay. That sounds like fun. Which is the best ride I've ever been on, by the way. <laughs> we get it. We get it, Ryan. You got to go to Disney World. We get it. But no, what's stupid is it's in front of the Chinese uh, Grauman Theater. And oh. I, and they had like handprints there. And I found <laughs> uh, 
like George Burns, Clark Gable. Um, I didn't see Cary Grant, but I saw Sally Struthers. So that's where Disney was at in the eighties when that when that park was came out. Ryan, you have to understand the world was under Burns mania in the in the early to mid eighties. Like it, it, it was a phenomenon that will never happen again. <laughs> We're in the Grantessence right now. There's a podcast series about Cary Grant. There's your article series on Cary Grant. People are re-releasing Cary Grant movies. You win. You win. I know. I know. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Meanwhile, George Burns' legacy is going, oh, oh, he he played God a couple times. Okay, cool. Meanwhile, there's a richer history. You know what? He he played Willie Clark. Oh, no, not Willie Clark. He played Al Lewis. God damn. Um, he played Al Lewis, and he won an Oscar for it, and he's great. Anywho. Anyway, what, congratulations what to Beauty and the Beast, the winner of Movie Madness 2021. Not to be confused with the Beauty and the Beast where Ian McKellen wants to change back into a candle. I will say when I rewatched it last week, it's still a great movie, Beauty and the Beast, and it looks great on 4K. Um and in Disney World, the actor who was playing Gaston was pretty great. He was walking around riding a horse. And I remember Kelly and I were in front of our restaurant uh, having lunch. And at, at Disney World, they don't have parades anymore. They just do like, well, they have parades, but it's just not long ones. It's each like float or something has a theme. So we were sitting there and I <laughs> I heard the uh, opening uh, chords for uh the song Gaston and um and I look up and this like totally ripped dude is riding a horse <laughs> and the table that was next to Kellen and I because we were like right on the street or I guess walkway I don't know what you'd call it in Disney World but we were right there and uh as a table full of girls uh well women uh were <laughs> next to us and the dude walked by he's like hey have you seen my bicep or my tricep they are quite large. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that guy is committed. <laughs> and I, so they, it was, uh, it was pretty great. <laughs> were they each, were they each dressed in French garb from the late 19th century swooning? <laughs> <laughs> that it is, is, that fun. is, I actually had an idea, Ryan, for a, a parade that I would want Disney to do, but they'll never do it because it's almost impossible. You need to you need to do an insane day at some point. I don't know, maybe April Fool's Day or whatever. And what you do is you have somebody who can uh, really embrace Mr. Toad and then find a talking horse and then have them ride. It's not a parade. It's literally just a mad chase by the Disney Park police trying to catch Mr. Toad. I'm down. <laughs> That if they if the day that happens, that's the day that I stop bitching about Disney. <laughs> I'm like, nope, they did the impossible here. They took <laughs> they took that ride where you go into hell and they made it a reality. <laughs> like the day I saw Indiana Jones running across my college campus. Yes, that was a great day. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think you you're can't, referring to uh, Crystal Skull. Nope. Nope, some guy dressed up like Indiana Jones was just running across campus, and I think there were like people chasing him. I can't remember if they were dressed up or something, but that's brilliant. Was he yelling, Jock, start the plane? No, that would be better. 
physics teacher yeah, except dude, just... Indiana Jones in high school. Yeah, yeah, you were a good indie. No, not our physics teacher. Yeah. No, you would be a good indie though, Brad. Would I? Yeah, you have like you can get the stubble right. <laughs> you know. It's you don't of... like snakes. <laughs> I, I I like snakes. I. I mean, I, I I wouldn't like have one as a pet, but you know. You think things belong in a museum? You have a long lost girlfriend who's a bartender somewhere in Nepal. I mean, it's just I do. <laughs> <laughs> you were That's so drunk, you don't remember part. that part. <laughs> you had a you had a now questionable today sidekick with a Yankees baseball cap and. <laughs> I probably Why is that questionable today. <laughs> you have a long lost son who will one day take over your mantle, probably. And then he will go on to fight robots in three movies. And then no, no. What will happen is I have a long lost son who will take over his mantle, and he'll reach down to pick up the hat, and Brad will snatch it and be like, "Not yet, son." But what you have to do to differentiate is then you push him down, <laughs> <laughs> and just go, "How dare you try?" <laughs> Love it. Anywho, I wonder what's happening in the world of movies. It's real news. Uh, so sad news for Mortal Kombat fans. You're going to have to wait a week. So, um, yeah. The- oh, so no. I, I guess it's not a flawless victory. Looks like audience loses. Um, <laughs> April 16th is the new release date for theaters and HBO Max. Well, I mean, it's actually okay. I, You know, when Warner Brothers was shocked on how much money Godzilla vs. Kong made, they're like, huh, maybe we should let this movie breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's probably it's like a good idea. Wanna, yeah, you want to cannibalize cool yourself. I can't I I can't claim to be among the forty eight million uh dollars worth that went to the theater because I ended up having to do this on HBO Max this week for time, but I'm going again to the theater because we'll talk uh, about it later. But yeah, long long story short, um yes, the new one will now be released on April sixteenth for Mortal Kombat. So you have a little uh, bit twenty third. Hmm? It's released on April twenty third. Hmm. Oh, yeah. April 23rd. Sorry, I'm looking at the original release date. Yeah, sorry. April 23rd, 2021. You will get your Mortal Kombat, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Let's move on to some trailers because we got two pretty pretty big trailers. Uh, First off, we got a trailer for Spiral, uh, the Saw um, reboot thing from Chris Rock and um, with Darren Lynn Bowsman returning to the director's chair. Seems like we've got a little bit more plot. Um, I mean, Brad, I, I don't think, think it doesn't sound like it's a reboot. It actually sounds like it's a sequel. That's what I'm thinking too. And what I'm curious is, are they going to stick to that? It's a copycat or are they going to renege on it? Like they have, like they did with Jigsaw where they're just like, Oh, it's not, not sure. Jigsaw. <laughs> I don't know. When you watch the trailer though, do you have a hard time with Chris rock in that role? I don't know. I, I'm sure he's fine and I have to see the whole movie, but in like little clips, I go, man, I don't know if Chris Rock is right for horror. <laughs> I just so. like the Heath Ledger thing all over again. Just wait till you actually get to see the movie. That, and oh, yeah. then judge I, it. That well, yeah. I I know. Right for him, like chaos walking. <laughs> no, um, I 
Here, here's I'm, my. Th- I'll tell you, Ryan. I think he might be fine. Here's my issue. That new saw voice. I, I, I was, I was not impressed. I'm sure it will make more sense when I see the movie. Yeah, it almost seems like moment. the movie. I have to see the movie. Yeah, because I'm sure because Chris Rock is a great actor. I mean, he's uh, great in everything. It's just it seems odd, and I think I have to be put in the world if that makes sense. Yeah, when you I mean we've got to get used to this version of saw now. So yeah, that and just having like snippets of Chris rock saying, this isn't a game or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and I go, man, I just, I don't know, but I mean, I'll see it because I want to. Yep. And I'm curious to see what Samuel Jackson does with this material. I'm tired of these I'm, motherfucking puppets in this motherfucking warehouse. I want to see him strangle the puppet, right? <laughs> Smack it around. Um, but again, yeah, hey, my biggest death trap movie- again. <laughs> <laughs> yes i deserve to die and i hope i die in this trap <laughs> um uh uh but um yeah no I, i'm i'm intrigued i'm down if they if they find a different if they find a way to carry on the thematic realm of saw and bring something different to it and i i like darren lynn bowsman as a director so i'm curious to see how he returns to this world the, so the box art for the 4K saw is awesome. I haven't. Huh? I didn't see that yet. Ooh, Thank it's you. like kind of like uh, it's like textured paint of uh, Billy the doll. Oh, is it just the first saw? Or are they doing the others? Uh, it's just the first one. Ooh, we need the series. Um, anywho, though, we got the second biggest trip. Well, we actually let's let's talk about a quick teaser back to the horror subject for a minute. We got a little snippet of Chucky, the TV show that's coming to sci-fi. Ryan, did you take a look at this? I have not seen it. Ah, we we get a little bit of snippet of the uh, animatronic Chucky being created, and it's swiping a knife. And then uh, you hear Brad Dourif yell, "I always come back." And uh, so, yeah, we're get, we're getting some Chucky. It's in production now, so we're not going to be getting it for a little while. But that's something to satiate you over for all you Chucky fans out there. Um, the last Chucky is- movie was great. Yes, it was. Well, and we're to be clear, we're talking the Chucky movie, not the Child's Play remake. Yeah, if I said um, Child's Play, I'd be t- hey, the Child's Play movie is all right. It, but, it's um, fine. It's it's its own thing. But yeah. um, th- this is the Chucky series that's being headed by Don Mancini, who's the original creator, and f- frankly, is the guy who understands the humor and the temor of the what Child's Play is supposed to be. Um, and uh, anyway, though, let's talk about the big trailer. I really wish we had Henry Jarvis here on this because. Uh, we're, we're you got to slam and welcome yourself to the new Space Jam because we got a trailer for Space Jam and New Legacy. Um, Ryan, does everything happen in this trailer, or is it just me stroking out? <laughs> no, you know, actually, I'm not a big fan of the song that was in the trailer, mm-hmm. and I'm not sold on LeBron James, but there's a moment in it where Daffy Duck gets shot and his beak turns around. <laughs> and it has holes in it, and I go, "All right, I'm on board." <laughs> uh, there's, always a, there's a line in the trailer where LeBron says something about like Will Smith, and I was like, "Is he just trying to channel like a Will Smith impression?" Because <laughs> it felt like he became Will Smith when he said that line, and then I just couldn't unhear it the rest of the trailer. It, it's it's I, I'm, I'm I'm this this plot has me stranged out. Because the first one is, as silly as the first one is, the plot's pretty simple. 
monsters try to put the Looney Tunes in slavery. They challenge them to a basketball game. They get bigger. Well, I guess the first one's pretty convoluted too. Uh, this one though, looks like it takes it up to a nth degree. And it looks like, according to the trailer, if you look at the trailer and you look at it frame by frame, you see that the entire Warner Brothers animation stock is making some form of appearance in here. We've got 3D Yogi Bear running around. So some Hanna-Barbera is going to be popping up. Um, we, uh, it, it's also been confirmed that I guess Zendaya is voicing uh, Lola Bunny, which is interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I actually liked the segment where they animated LeBron James into the 2D world. Um, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. So it kind of solves the issue I mean, of it looks great. Yeah, it looks it looks astonishingly good. Like clearly Warner Brothers threw a good chunk of money into here. I am curious though how how this plays up against what we're getting with that Looney Tunes cartoon series because I'm almost wondering if Space Jam Two is being made solely for that Space Jam market. Because I don't know what the Space Jam market consists of. Does it consist of people who actually like the Looney Tunes, or do they just really love that movie? Um, Probably know. a little bit of both. I, well, I, I mean, mean, LeBron James is a big movie fan. That is and true. So he's producing a movie, so maybe he's just a fan of Space Jam. I don't know. Yeah, and Ryan Coogler's producing it too, and Malcolm D. Lee's directing it. Like, I think it's going to be a fun ass ride. Um, I, and I actually feel like the trailer gives me the indication that there's a lot more goodwill and intention here. Whereas the, when you watch the first one, as wonderful as it can be from a certain point of view, it is ultimately one big giant commercial, <laughs> uh, or isn't so, everything these days though, but, but wasn't like, the transformers movies, just commercials for toys. It was a commercial for toys and uh lower intelligence corinne it was it was trying to sell us on lower intelligence um but um no i'm 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 down for it and also it i can't i haven't looked at the cast list ryan but it sounds like these are i don't think these are the same people who were doing the voices of the characters in space jam one so maybe they've got the new crew on board yeah i don't know i know the uh the aliens or monsters or whatever that the looney tunes are playing Mm-hmm. are at least based on actual NBA and WNBA players. I don't know if they voice them. I would guess they do, but um, yeah. I think they do, that. Corinne. Um, Damian Lillard talks about it, like uh, how he was modeled and voiced it. So I think they're voicing them too. Yeah, maybe it's like the monsters don't talk initially, but then once, you know, presumably the Looney Tunes win and the spell or whatever is broken, then maybe they're like, oh, hey, thanks for like, setting us free or something or something. Yeah. What, why, my biggest question in all of this is, will the original Monstars make an appearance? I wonder if they'll be referenced at all. If like the Looney Tunes will say, Oh my gosh, this is just like the shit we had to do 30 years ago with the Monstars. Yeah. Okay. So I've got the cast list here. So it's actually Jeff Bergman, Ryan, um, doing bugs. Um, hmm. and he's been doing it for a while. Yeah. Um, because he's been uh, he's been with animation for years, and then I Eric think he's Bauer, actually isn't he the official voice of Bugs now? Uh, I think he I is. Don't I, I would I guess so possibly. Eric Bowser, um, who does Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Tweety, Peppy Le Pew, and Marvin the Martian on the Looney Tunes cartoons, is playing Splinter Daffy. on TMNT. What? And Splinter on TMNT. Yeah, but we're not talking about your turtles right now, Brad. We're talking well, about Well, Brad, the that's Looney really Tunes. interesting that he's Splinter. Thanks, I Ryan. Mean, 
Yeah. And we are talking about it right now because I brought it up. Okay. Well, then there you go. Do you have some turtle news for us while we're at it? I do. Later. Continue. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, no. So they're bringing some people in from uh, that new iteration of it. And uh, Gabriel Iglesias is playing Speedy Gonzalez. Okay, cool. That's a good fit. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and Jim Cummings is playing the Tasmanian Devil. So sweet. Um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, Henry needs to respond or break down the trailer for us at some point. So I, I've already... I have it on good authority. He is coming to Denver very soon. So maybe we can get him in studio slash Skype or whatever and break this down for us. Uh, anyway, moving on to uh, the, uh, the news, uh, the, the, the more broader news. Um, Knives Out 2 and 3 are going to Netflix with Ryan, and John- Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig both returning. Um, so the original company that produced the film and basically backed everything up um, and then gave it to Lionsgate for distribution made a deal with Netflix. So now the, va- the deal valued at $400 million. The only um, specifications in the deal were making sure that Daniel Craig was committed to them. Um, so, and they own the licenses to the original movie and main, and it means they could make a sequel deal like this. So so when we get the Knives Out sequels, we're getting them via Netflix, guys. So that sounds like cool. I, I'm I'm down for that. Yeah, as long as we're getting them. That's all. I, <laughs> that's kind of all I care about. <laughs> um, and then I have some. I I don't know if I, I'm actually kind of sad about this. I'm not gonna lie. So Jar Jar Binks won't be on the Obi Wan Kenobi series, and kind of the reason uh, I'm upset about that is because. Ahmed Best has been given shit for the last 20 something years now. And it feels like he's owed some form of restitution for having to endure that nonsense. Um, because, because even if you don't like the character, it's no excuse to tell somebody to go kill themselves. So um, I don't know why people were expecting Jar Jar Binks to be in the Kenobi series though. I mean, he could technically be a part of it. He could show remorse for the fact that he's the one who put Chancellor Palpatine into emergency powers. Right, but Kenobi's supposed to be in hiding. So, but, and of course, Jar Jar just attracts attention everywhere he goes because he's an idiot. So. Maybe, maybe in his regret, Corinne, he has learned to be more, to be less uh, uh, obvious. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just, it seems like that it might have been an interesting way to like find a way to redeem that character or something. I don't know. Of course, that character is loaded with a lot of problems from front to back, but you know how you, you redeem know. the character is um, the predator is also part of Disney now. And so in the new predator movie, when he has a throne room, you just have Jar Jar Binks on his head in the fucking trophy room. So then that, that means we awesome. sympathize with him. <laughs> yep. Okay. So that's, <laughs> did ryan just fix star wars <laughs> i know jar jar makes a couple of appearances in the clone Wars series i don't really remember too much about it but i know he pops up a couple of times is he like respectable in it or what? i don't know i don't he's again, the usual jar jar okay up to shenanigans why 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 did i expect any different i, I okay anyway i i was trying to find a silver lining here in a world that can be filled with negativity. And clearly I, I was dumb to do that. Uh, 
Anyway, uh, some other casting news. The Powerpuff Girls was a cartoon series. It's now going to be a live action series. And Donald Faison will be playing Professor Utonium, which that looks that sounds pretty cool. Um, in other news, they're making a live action Powerpuff Girls series. <laughs> I Sure. Hey, you know who's writing and executive producing this? Diablo Cody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> I'm not saying that sarcastically. I'm just still pretty shocked that I'm reading this news and finding this out just now. Um yeah, look out for that coming soon. Um, and then, Ryan, you need to um, give us a statement here because it sounds like Sylvester Stallone is writing a Rocky prequel series. Yeah, you know, everyone's asked me what Rocky did before he was, you know, the champ. And this is this is the quote. I started out this morning by writing a treatment for a Rocky prequel for streaming, Stallone um, said via Instagram. He had he adds that there would be ideally ten episodes and a few seasons to get to the heart of the characters in their younger years. And one of the quotes is, Imagine a time machine that will simply transport us back to the origins of Rocky, a cinematic world brimming with characters that have been beloved by around, around the world for nearly five decades. I can't do a Stallone. It, bottom line is, was was Creed a joke to him? <laughs> like so I don't mean this at all. This would be a, a series about all the knees he busted collecting debts. Yeah, see, that's the thing. If it's a gangster series, I'm interested. But if it's about him, like, boxing, and then we just suddenly never realized he had a secret yearning for boxing. Like, what, 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 he was a mafia hitman. <laughs> he whacked people. Well, not hitman. Um, um, muscle. He He... He knocked people over to make sure they paid their money to the mob. Yeah, but I think there's a story to be told there. I mean, there is, but I just, I just, if I see one hint of boxing, <laughs> he needs to start that. That first season needs to be him in gangster mode first. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I thought he put these things to bed, but I guess this character is something he still likes tapping into, which is cool, but I don't know. <laughs> What's Polly's backstory going to be? Him being an abusive alcoholic? <laughs> no, he's the penguin. Doy. <laughs> no, that's Mickey. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Mickey. Yeah, Polly's birdie. <laughs> <laughs> I would love Polly as the, as the penguin, though. <laughs> He'd be stumbling around so much, Batman could just tip him over. <laughs> um, and then uh, some DC news. The New Gods and Aquaman spinoffs, The Trench, have been canceled. So, yeah. Uh, the New Gods was going to be directed by Ava DuVernay, and uh, The Trench was um, sp- stemming off of a sequence from the Aquaman. Uh, those are no longer happening. So, it's kind of sad. Seems like, I, I, don't, I don't know much about New Gods, but I liked that sequence in the tr- of The Trench and Aquaman. So, I kind of wanted to see what they would do with that. And now we'll never know. Uh, and then yeah, and that's news. Unless I missed anything, yeah, I know the new trailer for Loki was awesome. <laughs> we saw oh, that. that's right. We got a trailer for that TV show. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, makes me excited. I yeah. love the character. Tom Hiddleston's really great as it. Yeah, it'll be fun to see him play it again. I still haven't watched any of WandaVision or Falcon yet. <laughs> anyway, that's news. Movies on Blu-ray are coming out. DVD releases and Blu-rays. 
Okay, Scorpion releasing has got your back if you want some rollerball in your life. Not the remake, but the original 1975 James Conn film. Uh, so yeah, if you could pick that up on Blu-ray if you'd like. Warner Archives is putting out Thundar the Barbarian. Uh, the Is this the complete series? Yes, this is the complete series. You can get that on Blu-ray if you'd like. Uh, a Chloe Grace Moretz movie called Shadow in the Cloud. Is this the one where she, shi- she fights a gremlin, Ryan, in World War II? I have no idea. Sure. I don't know. Sounds gonna, like it. I want to check it out. Sounds interesting. Uh, anyway, The Killer Elite with James Caan and Robert Duvall from 1975 uh, is coming your way. Um, you can also get from Kino Lorber, you've got two. Count them, two box sets coming, guys. You've got Western Classics 2. Uh, this includes The Redhead from Wyoming, Pillars of the Sky, and Gun for a Coward. Uh, and uh, the Carol Lombard Collection 2, which uh, apparently is out of stock, Amazon. And also, thanks for canceling my pre-order, DX. Um, Thank you, but, Amazon, for having that delivered to my house by 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Way to, way to suck up to the big man, Ryan. <laughs> um, I have to get up. I'll get a knock on my door. You're like, oh, there she is, Miss Lombard, ready to be watched. They just hand it to you on a fancy pillow. <laughs> um, uh, but in this collection, you can get Hands Across the Table, Love Before Breakfast, and The Princess Comes Across. Uh, so, yeah, the good news is since it's selling well, looks like we'll get a volume three at some point. Uh, among new releases, we've got Barb and Star, Go to Vista Del Mar, the Kristen Wiig comedy there. Um, we were we were thinking about seeing that at one point. Maybe we can give it a shot at some point when we have nothing else to see in a week. Um, Tremors is coming to 4K. This is I already have it. <laughs> this is the no. best timeline coming from Arrow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I already have that one. I don't know if they're just doing like a single disc release of it, but I got the fancy uh, collector's edition. This this looks like a single disc version, Ryan. This looks like it's kind of just. I do know Arrow does do that. Like if you get a really the really fancy versions, if you wait a few months, they'll put out a single disc version of it. Okay, that's neat. Sixty percent uh, off sale right now. Ooh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, my um, my pal Marshall just like he he texted me a screenshot full of titles where he's just like, I own all these now. And I'm like, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> um, and then uh, we are getting from Kino Classics, Robert Siodmak's The Man in Search of His Murderer from 1931. Never heard of this before. Sounds interesting. A man in bad sorts hires a burglar to later kill him then changes his mind when his fortunes turn and must find the contracted murderer before it is too late. Ooh, neat. Race against the clock there. Um, and then that looks like it's everything, unless, you, of course, you want a steelbook of Earwig and the Witch. Uh, this looks to be a Studio Ghibli thing, but it doesn't look like it's Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, Corinne, you want to field this one? I think it's his kid. Yeah, and it's also uh, computer generated, and it looks really weird. Fair enough. The story, it follows an orphan girl, Earwig, who is adopted by a witch and becomes home to a spooky house filled with mystery and magic. You know, I wish I had been adopted by a witch and uh, entered into a house full of spookiness and magic, but it didn't happen. I grew up in Colorado. Anyway, that's Blu-ray's. We watch films and TV shows throughout the week in a segment we call What You've Been Watching. 
and maybe you should watch. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad? Uh, let's see. A lot of, a lot of TV shows. Um, uh, the uh, 2003 Ninja Turtles cartoon um, never released their final season on DVD. But uh, fortunately, and I didn't get to watch it on when it was airing on network because I kind of stopped getting network TV around that time that it aired. So uh, now it's on Paramount Plus and I finally got to watch it. And it's it's only like 13 episodes, which is about half of a normal season. But it is nice to finally wrap up that series uh, for me. Um, Also on Paramount. Is this the one, Brad, you're telling me where it has like badass fights and it's kind of violent? Well, the main show is uh, the final season. You know, they do the same kind of the same thing they did with the 87 show where like the last two seasons, they revamped like the animation style. Um, it, it, it's commonly referred to as the the red sky edition. Cause I think like the last year it was on was about the same time as the Batman animated series starting up. So mm. like, it also has, you know, a dark red sky and they give the turtles like an edgier um, look to them. And then this one uh, their edgy look, they actually soften so that you, they actually have pupils now after, you know, I think six seasons of them. It's just weird that they would change the animation style like in the last season. Um, but yeah, it's it's not this that thing. Um, but cool. yeah, the, the, the previous season was the fast forward season where they get sent like 100 years in the future. Um, and then this season is called Back the Sewers where they come back and um, a lot of the like tech-based villains also follow them, uh, and and yeah, there's like a new version of Shredder that's pretty cool. They uh, end up fighting at the end. Um, I'm surprised no one's made like you make a cool action figure if they did it. Um, yeah, and then I also watched on Paramount Plus a bunch of uh, Nickelodeon uh, early '90s stuff. Uh, I think I talked last week about I was watching just regular Double Dare. Did I? Yeah. Um, so two years ago, three years ago, I guess now, they rebooted Double Dare again uh, for the, for the second time, um, and that version is awesome. Uh, the only problem is it's already canceled, <laughs> <laughs> so there won't be any more. It's frustrating that the set looks awesome, the obstacle courses are great. Uh, Mark Summers is back, but he's the announcer. Um, so, but like he splits time with Liza Koshy, who's the new host. Um, he's, he's not always relegated to Harvey's, you know, bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it, the whole vibe is fun. And they also, you know, it's, it's not just two kids all the time, you know, they kind of like, they'll have a celebrity guest competition one for charity. And they'll sometimes do the family version, um, yeah, it's just like all the best elements of Double Dare all in a single show, and it's a shame that it's already like it's it's weird to spend that much. It like it looks expensive too, and mm. that's probably why. But at the same time, it's like you went through all the trouble of like putting all this together, and you only give it like two years. Like one of those years is, you know, COVID. So you know, obviously they're not opening up the studio to have a bunch of audience members involved. But you know, I, I just hope they continue it at some point because it feels like double dare deserves to be a show that's just always on nickelodeon you know 
seems like a good like mid afternoon show to watch. Yeah, I mean, I've been been watching it. It's just you know, it's a, it's kind of the same thing over and over again, but still, uh, like, yeah, they changed it up enough that it's fun from episode to episode. You know, um, yeah, and then uh, I went back and watched Salute Your Shorts, which was was a fun revisit. Uh, you know, it's the these kids at, at Camp Anawana, and um, you know, it's just about. This fictional kid life at, at at a camp. Um, the only problem is on Paramount Plus, it only has half the episodes that exist for some reason. Hmm. So, and one of like one of the episodes is a two parter, but they don't have the second part. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and they're out of order. It's yeah, it's is a shame to like it's only a, a two seasons. Like, it's not hard to put that many episodes up. So. There's like there's no continuity to it now. You're just kind of watching episodes. It's like just put the other thirteen up, like you're done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's fun. Um, it, was, it was fun like doing research on like you know since they didn't have the episodes to film me and I had to do research on like why um, it only had two seasons because it feels like a lot of these shows you know as we're growing up were on forever but they were a little only on for you know one or two. Uh, but about the second season of it the executives at Nickelodeon were like, Hey, we're going to stop producing all of our shows the way we do. And then we're going to do them all in Orlando at our studio. And obviously this camp shows is like, uh, you know, we already did one season in this forest. It's not gonna make sense in Orlando. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, kind of different mm-hmm. vegetation going on. So they were just like, yeah, we're just not going to come back. So that's why that ended. Uh, same with Hey Dude, you know, they can't oh, do... Oh, that, that wasn't that long? I remember that show growing up a lot. Yeah, that was three seasons. It was only like 89 to 90, or 91. Huh. So, and I watched a little bit of that too. Um, didn't go very far, but um, that was just about, you know, this guy from the city buys the barn on ranch and tries to turn it into like a tourist attraction and everyone else is kind of adjusting to it. Um what else uh i also watched uh you can't do that on television they also have on paramount plus and that show was on for like 10 years and it's an export from canada so nickelodeon didn't really make it um but i they've again it's like they've only got 10 15 episodes from this series that's been on for 10 years um and they're all first season stuff but i didn't remember it that well you know i you know i I started watching it towards the end of its run, but I didn't realize like the show is they're all themed and all the skits support that theme. And it's weird because it's edited where you'll see a little bit of a sketch and it'll jump to a different sketch. and It'll come back to that other sketch later on. Um, So it's like really, it's like just such a different thing to watch editing wise. Does that make sense? It just messes with your, your, your flow of how you watch TV. Um, I can't say it's like hilarious. <laughs> you know, it very much feels like kids were at the show. Uh, but it is fun to see like that one guy, Les Lie, who's like, there's two adult actors throughout the whole run. Uh, but the main one is the guy who played like the executioner guy. And then the Barth, the like the guy who like runs a terrible burger joint. Um, and it's like, 
those characters and skits over and over again. So it's not like SNL where, you know, they write new stuff for like different scenarios every time. It's like they make all these characters and scenes work for all these different themes. Um, yeah. So that was cool to watch. Um, and then Falcon and Winter Soldier, we'll probably get to towards the end. Uh, and then I watched two movies, uh, both Harrison Ford movies, Presumed Innocent was one where he's a lawyer who is solving the murder of one of his colleagues who right away, they tell you he was having an affair with, uh, which was nice. That it wasn't like this thing that baked, wasn't baked into like a surprise at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was a cool like mystery up until like three quarters of the way through when I kind of figured out who was responsible um what year is that movie from brad i remember seeing it but i can't place it it's 1990 and who else is in it uh bonnie bedelia uh john mcclain's wife is in it um brian dennehy is like the main oh that's right um character actor brian dennehy (laughs) um yeah and you, you you find out that the the woman who was killed was kind of having an affair with everybody in the office there um, and ultimately, um, people figure out about the affair and, you know, it leads to Harrison Ford himself being accused of the crime of the murder. Um, he kind of has to prove otherwise. Uh, and then another movie that has a very similar, like poster vibe, uh, with him in it is frantic. Um, and that's sorry, a Polanski movie. <laughs> I, f- I found out, um, but I have to Son admit of- bitch i have to admit it was pretty good like for the first half of it like it, the, the suspense and mystery generated was pretty good uh but completely crashed and burned for me after that when you finally find out like what's going on um here's the ford again he goes to paris with his wife for um he's a doctor there's some kind of medical conference but they're also going to have like a you know a romantic vacation while they're at it and then they're getting ready to go out um, and then she just um, takes a phone call while he's in the shower and then he comes out and she's just gone um, and he doesn't know why. Um, and so he goes on this journey to figure out, you know, what the heck happened to her. like, is she, you know, is it just a misunderstanding? Was she kidnapped? Is she cheating on him? Um, yeah, it, it generates some like pretty good suspense uh, up until you find out like why she just disappeared and then it just like he also um like in the midst of solving the, the the mystery he i don't know the actress's name but he like meets this one girl who uh is in on the the problem and she kind of bounces between like wanting to help him and not helping him um and every time like he gets closer she kind of like sabotages it um but yeah by the end it is is I don't know. I, I without spoiling it, I can't really. All I can say is like, oh, I was like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> yep. I wonder why uh, it has to be filmed in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there are parts of it too, like with this other girl, like the girl who's not his wife, is like, I feel like uh, the director just kind of likes having this girl as a character because she's pretty, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Fuck Polanski. 
Um, yeah, that's all I watched. Corinne? All right, four things. Um, how about we just talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier now? Because I actually am caught up on it. And I totally think that Sharon is either the power broker or works for the power broker. Because I think her showing up again in Madripoor was just a little bit too much of a coincidence. Yeah, also, she's got ass in it, though, too. Eh, just overall, I'm not liking this show nearly as much as I liked WandaVision. Um the first episode was really depressing, and then the second episode was really annoying. And then the third episode was, yeah, it was fine. So, Wait, what was annoying about the second episode? Oh, just like all the, like how they're trying to do like this banter between Sam and Bucky. And I don't know if they just like don't have the right writers for it, but it just comes across more as annoying than endearing. And I just don't, I'm like, I don't care. Kind of seemed the same to me as when they were fighting in Civil War. So, so then, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, like I, it wasn't my favorite episode so far. Hello? Like I, I, hello. What? Are you guys still there? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, th- I think she must have got disconnected or something. Anyway, I'll continue. Uh, but also, I understand like it's the third episode, so after two, kind of like rising plot you know things it kind of kind of comes down a bit we can hear you um what's i gonna say i I think it's the third episode after two episodes of rising yeah like it it just it felt like a kind of a come down episode um you know i expected because we're we're reintroduced to zemo and didn't they set up like in the movie in civil war that he was just an average Sokovian like that. I thought that was the cool part of, that he was like, he wasn't like a rich dude that had all this access to stuff. Like he, he defeated the Avengers by just being like a guy upset with the death of his family. And he, he scrapped no, I mean, together. He's, he's a, he's a Baron. Did they say he was a Baron in civil war though? Uh, I can't remember. I didn't um, think they did. I do remember hearing that he was like the comic book character is Baron Zemo. So I guess I wasn't yeah. surprised when that happened, but like, I guess I can, I, I kind of agree with Brad of just like, yeah, like whatever. Okay. I guess he like, yeah, was a, a Baron the whole time. Okay. Yeah. Like I know he was a Baron in the comic, but I'm just saying like, I thought it was cool because I didn't feel like I, I have to watch civil war again, but I don't think they made that known. So going through, I was just like, Oh, that's a cool change that he's, like the odds are stacked even more against him, but now that he's like Baron Zemo, it's like, oh, he's super connected and he's Batman, so it feels like less of a challenge for him to defeat the Avengers, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was, I, I think there's way more at play here, where I think because this is the halfway point of the series, so I think it's just, um, like I had fun with this episode. I thought it was pretty fun. But yeah. it, it's, it was it, the best of the three so far. It seems like the kind of setting up. I mean, ZMO is definitely not a good dude, and I, he's obviously going to turn against him. So, also, um, I agree with Brad that the new Captain America guy is super shady, and I don't, I oh. don't like him. <laughs> well, yeah, he is in the comics too. He's not a yeah. good dude. 
I don't know. I'm just, I, I know Brad theorized after the first episode that he was behind the flag smashers, that it was a false flag operation to get people to like the new Captain America. And Which, I can get behind that. Yeah, but I don't think that anymore based on this episode. <laughs> um, Still could be something there. Um, I think maybe the government is involved, but I think he's earnest. Like he's, he's definitely not like a good Captain America, but I think he's, He's he and his buddy are like on the same mission, but he's just doing it poorly, you know. But also, I'm also worried that like again we've set up even more threads, and this is only what three episodes left, four episodes left. I just don't know how they're going to resolve everything because you know we've they also set up like Isaiah Bradley in the last episode, so yeah, that was five episodes total. Is it six? Yeah. Okay. It's just a lot to drop. Yeah, but I think time. each episode is almost an hour, so you still have three hours of content. So it should be interesting um, to see how they wrap up all this stuff. Because yeah, we're dealing with flag smashers. We've got uh, a history of Captain Americas that no one knew about. You know, it's just a lot. You know, with Baron Zemo up to and the Power Broker. That's and the Power Broker mm-hmm. and people from Wakanda. Our guests are now <laughs> on the trail of Zemo. It's it's just a lot of threads. It was funny. I watched the third episode with Jerry and he's like, there's a scene in it that you're going to love. And I'm like, okay. So we get like halfway through and they're just like in the club and it's that shot of like Zemo dancing. And I'm like, what the hell? And he's like, I knew you would like that scene. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like that's burned into my brain forever. And then of course we get to the very end with the Wakandan lady showing up and he's like, aha, see, I had to throw in a red herring for you because I didn't want to spoil the surprise. That was a fun edit too. Like they have that party scene, which isn't that like much of a big deal, but uh, I think it cuts to like the shipping containers and they're walking out like, man, we really partied hard last night. It's like, no, you yeah, didn't. <laughs> I didn't understand that sequence. I was like, what was, I, I figured they were going to a club to like meet somebody to get information, but then it's like, nope. And it was Sharon's just, just like club scene. I got the information, and then it just cuts away. It's just like that just seems like a weird deviation. She could have just known it back at her hideout. Yeah, and there's the Sharon Carter thread. Like apparently, she's got more going on than just this episode. So she's totally the power broker. But so what else Maybe. did you watch? So, I watched the latest Studio Ghibli film, Earwig and the Witch. And it hey, is... I talked about that earlier when you were gone. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tell me what this is. So, it is a 3D animated Studio Ghibli film. It's their first experiment with the medium. And, hey boy. <laughs> it's not just that the animation is terrible like i'm not kidding you when i say i've seen commercials with better 3d animation than this movie i'm pretty sure that the original toy story looked better than earwig and the witch in terms of the animation but the voice acting is fine but oh my gosh the story is just like all over the place and it's just like it tries to be this kind of episodic thing, but then it also tries to have this like mystery or something that like this question that keeps coming up 
and you're like, okay, so we need some kind of resolution to this. And then right when you think you're going to get it, that's when the movie ends. And it's like, what? Are you kidding me? Setting it up for Earwig 2 something I, God, I hope not. please no and and honestly like the credits start rolling and it's just this beautiful like just like uh little sketches of the uh you know 2d animated sketches of the characters like off doing these cute you know scenarios of like they're going to have a picnic or they're going on a car ride or whatever and i'm like fuck that's what i just show me like a movie about that like <sighs> The two minutes of credits was better than the whole hour and a half of movie that I watched. Oh my gosh. It was such a waste of my time. And it was so sad. It was a slap in the face to Studio Ghibli's legacy and a slap in the face to 3D animators the world over, but especially in the West. It's like, holy shit. Like Pixar is putting out Soul and... Studio Ghibli put, the, oh gosh, don't even get me started it, on this if, it, if it's their first forte into this territory, though, then you've got to, I'm not saying like give them leniency per se, but just like, you know, understand that this is them dipping their toes into a water that more than likely they're going to have to start treading into more as time goes on. But God, I, hope I, would, not. I would argue that Studio Ghibli is one of the few animation studios that could keep doing 2d films for as long as it wants and never lose revenue because the popularity of them is so vast oh like, yeah and i think there's totally a market for it i think there's people like us who love 2d animation and miss seeing it and studio ghibli was one of the last holdouts of it mm-hmm. so yeah it's uh so it's not uh hayao miyazaki but it's i think it's a son goro miyazaki directed it and Hayao Miyazaki is still working on like his supposed last film, which will be 2D animated. So whew, let's hope that he stays alive long enough to finish it. But I haven't heard when that's coming out yet. I think it was supposed to come out this year, but it's probably been pushed back because of coronavirus. So do not watch Earwig and the Witch. It is bad. And it's not even like an entertaining bad. It's just like a waste of your time bad. So don't watch it. Uh-huh. So then I've also been rewatching the Justice League animated TV show on HBO Max. And oh my gosh, I forgot how much I love the show. Although revisiting it now, there are definitely elements that it's like the female characters are not treated well at all. Um, A lot of suggestive shots and camera pans and weird dialogue. (laughs) like dang it why did you have to ruin a great show with this kind of crap but you know it only comes up occasionally so it's not like all over the place but it's amazing the variety of stories that they get to tell and it's like it's perfect because an animated tv show it's like you have a budget you can do all sorts of stuff because it's animated you you don't have to worry about getting these huge a-listers on to set to do all this crap you know you get to tell a variety of stories across you know 26 episodes or whatever and like they get to tackle all sorts of things that you will never ever see in like a justice league movie by Zack snyder or anybody else because it's like all these obscure villains and sidekicks and things like the shadow thief. You think there's ever going to be a DC 
EU movie with a shadow thief in it. Well, there's not going to be a DCEU anymore, Corinne. So. Well, whatever. A live action DC movie where, oof. Well, I know Vandal Savage has been in the uh, Arrowverse shows, but it's kind of interesting. I just watched um, the Hereafter episode, which is the one where Superman dies. So you kind of get like some Death of Superman stuff in there. But then you find out he's actually been flung like 30,000 years into the future after Vandal Savage destroyed the world. And so it's fun to, you know, watch Superman, you know, go through this like apocalyptic wasteland and survive evil wolves only to sleep on Vandal Savage's couch. And then, you know, go through a time machine back to his regular life. And it also has like a kind of cool Twilight Zone-esque sort of ending. So yeah, the show's kind of perfect. Minus, you know, all the misogyny. My favorite part about Justice League is the shots they have of the women in it. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> I've never seen the show. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, Ryan, you would love it. It's on HBO Max. You really should check it out. Oh. I'll see if it's on Blu-ray and I'll get it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, I keep on meaning to. I do love that HBO Max has that hub now. So I've dipped into JLU a couple of times just because, well, I mean, I've seen JLU already before, but I've just been kind of watching some of the episodes out of order because things that come up in Justice League get, get brought up again in Justice League Unlimited. And so it's kind of nice to have that continuity um, and also to be able to skip around of like, okay, you go from Paradise Lost in season one of Justice League to that episode in Justice League Unlimited where Diana and Hot Girl go back to the underworld and deal with Hades and all this stuff. So it's a good, it's a great show. Such, oh, the writing is so perfect. They bring up Thanagar in the season two premiere, knowing that Thanagarian invasion is going to be the plot line for the finale. And it's oh, so amazing. Oh my gosh, I love the show. Just was it. Had a little bit better treatment of its female characters. But yeah, otherwise it's perfect. And then the last thing I've been watching is today, I binge watched all 10 episodes of Ted Lasso. Nice. And it's amazing. <sighs> oh my, it's so funny with great character development. I learned what relegation is. <laughs> and, uh, Oh, Jason Sudeikis is just an absolute hoot in the show. And of course, it's got a bunch of other British people. The guy who plays like the villain of the whole series. It's like, oh, yeah, I know I've seen him in some period drama before where he also played a giant dick who was telling everybody to do the things that he wanted to do. And oh, man, you just want to strangle that guy. He's such a dick that part where he goes into her office and he's like, yeah, guess what? I'm having a kid. I didn't want to have one before with you. Oh man. Just wanted to slash his throat. That's pretty Jan energy right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I guess it was almost like perfect. And then the last shot of the season finale was, it was supposed to be this, joke i guess but it was just and it's like kind of spit take and oh did i get you and then they cut to the shot of like her face is just like covered in water it's like yeah 
clearly you did, Ted. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, what was that supposed to be? And then it ended and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> didn't I, end on a cliffhanger, didn't end on a good joke. You just ended on a really weird, awkward moment. What was it? I don't remember. Last oh, that she um she gave him like a fizzy water, but he didn't oh. know it was a fizzy water, so he spat it out oh, in her yeah. face. Yeah, I think it's called back to like the first episode. Yeah. I know. But it's still, I didn't think it was funny. I just thought it was weird. So that means it was really funny. Nah. They did put out a great uh, like little two-minute skit for the SAG Awards, which I watched this morning. And I was like, okay, this is cute. Before I saw the rest of the show. And then I rewatched it after I had seen all the episodes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is on fire. <laughs> the Com- the the timing and the jokes and the just weird things they bring up. You have to see it to understand it. So, yeah. oh, uh, Zach, there is an excellent joke about Martin Scorsese movies in there. You got to <laughs> check it out. All right. <laughs> it's, it's a okay. great contrast show to the toxic times that we live in. Amen. Oh, it, it's cool. kind of the show I needed right now because everything else is bullshit. <laughs> Right on. Cool. To, so, it's on it Apple is, TV, right? Yep. And it's getting a second season. I think it's going to come out this summer. Right, Brad? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, should come out sometime in the next year before my Apple TV subscription expires. My free one. Awesome. So, check out Very Ted cool. Lasso. It's probably the best show I've seen since The Good Place. So not that long. But The Good Place is kind of a you know outlier. Everything else is crap. <laughs> I forgot news to announce like all the Star Trek stuff that was announced today. What was announced? I didn't see that. Picard season two is coming in 2022. Uh, Lower Decks is getting like two's on the way, but they're also getting their third season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy, the animated Nickelodeon kids show with Catherine Janeway mm-hmm. coming out. Um, Discovery season four has a trailer. Um. Yeah, and then Picard season two, it, it, Q's involved ooh, uh, based on that trailer. I still need to watch season one, and I, I I've been holding off because I you get I'm not gonna lie, you and James made me feel like I would be wasting my time, but I was like, no, I'm still gonna do this. Like, well, yeah, I, I don't think it's great, but I'm still like in, you know. Yeah. Like, plus, now that I know like Mark Bernardin is involved with breaking the the story for it, that um. I, I I hope it'll be much better. I don't know. So. Oh, one more quick thing I want to mention is that I did watch the season, uh, sorry, series finale for Superstore, and it was pretty great. Uh, got a little emotional there at the end. Great callbacks and nice to see everybody, you know, sort of land on their feet. Brand, my folks watched this show. What the heck's going on with America Ferrera on that show? What happened? Uh, so she left at the end of. Uh, I think it was season. I think it was season six. They just finished. I think she left at the end of season five, beginning to season six, and then they brought her back for the series finale. Okay, for sure. I was just curious. Yeah, I was kind of confused. I'm like, what the hell? Like, it's March. Like, why is this show ending already? Okay, whatever. I was surprised this show's been on for six years. So that me too. Yeah, that that's incredible. It's just one of those kind of shows to have on in the background while you're, you know, eating lunch or doing laundry or whatever. 
it has a it has a following so you know it's good for it it's a cute show yeah it's kind of interesting the premise allowed them to tackle a lot of different issues that came up with like unions and the racial relations and things like that so they have kind of got into some you know social justice issues there very cool so yeah anyway that's all i've been watching zach all right um i had a bit of a fun little weekend going back through some stuff some new and some uh rewatches um i rewatched rear window and murder two hitchcock movies um and i i i think the more i go back to rear window the more it climbs into that top list of hitchcock for me um it's i just i i never not enjoy it um I don't think I would have put it on my list if, when I was in college, but now like just the amount of times I've had to go back to it for various different reasons. It just, it just keeps hooking, hooking me in the best possible way. Um, and then rewatching murder actually within the context of looking at early experiments and sound, um, which is something I'm looking to start doing a little bit more in depth. Uh, it's, it's, amazing the movie i don't i'm not like the movie's biggest fan i think it's a like a very solid movie but it's not one i go back to a bunch but watching hitchcock work with sound uh as like this is his this is like an earlier effort for him so he's still getting comfortable with the technology there's a lot of energy to the movie that's almost unexpected especially within the first like 15 to 20 minutes of the movie um, that just seems so modern and seems so like perfect for uh, for kicking off trends you'll see down the line in films. Uh, uh, it's a film that I want to do a full episode on, uh, like a Shamley supplements at some point because we never did it in the main series, and I kind of regret doing that, not doing that because the uh, it's a film that's definitely worthy of the discussion as well as blackmail. Um, uh, and I also rewatched North by Northwest because we watched uh, a Cary Grant movie at film club. And I was like, I want more Cary Grant. So I rewatched North by Northwest and that movie's still wonderful. Um, at film club, we watched an affair to remember and uh, the African queen, uh, African queen. I've seen a whole bunch affair to remember. I don't believe I've seen it in a long time. Like it must've been like when I was very young. Um, and seeing it on like flashes on AMC or TCM, one of the two. And Ryan, that's a that, that's how did Cary Grant not get nominated for that movie? I mean, he should be nominated for every movie. But well, well, okay, well, we're talking <laughs> no. about an affair to remember. We're not talking about okay. the other ones. Okay, because um, like you know, I don't know. I think I think towards the end it gets a little too sappy. Honestly, oh, see, I don't think that. <laughs> no. No, um, I, you know what? I mean, he's great in it. He, he is great. Here's, Deborah Kerr. Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing on it is that there is that moment at the very, very end where he looks and sees that she has the painting and he reacts like the, the, the amount of humanity that is on his face is startling. Like, it's not like I've never seen, not seen it out of him, but just because of the way that movie moves to get to that point, like, it, this the film has the right combination of Grant's charm and persona, the right hit of women pursuing him, mixed with the sincere fact that he becomes very vulnerable early on in the film, and he wears that vulnerability on his sleeve for the most part. 
Like rare his his guards not up in the same way it might be in other films. Like it's yeah. there's something definitely unique about it. And you know, like when he when he goes back to visit his grandmother and she's dead, like it's it's God. I just I cried. Like I had to shut off my computer and you know walk away for a second and then come back into the, the club. Um and then African Queen is another great love story, but it's also mixed with John Houston badassery. Uh and uh just it's it's you know what, Brian, only one movie has an incredible love story mixed with the sincere goal of turning a whole boat into a torpedo to take down a Nazi Yuba. That that's the that's that's one of the best plots you could ever pitch in this day and age. And I don't understand how everybody's not watched this movie. I'm uh, always down for Nazis not making it. But specifically here, Ryan, Bogart and Kate Hepburn turning a boat into a torpedo. Like they're turning it into a bomb. It's a mobile bomb. <laughs> it's it's going to take out threats um and also it's it's one of those films where the ending the way it plays out like the more i look at it the more i'm like only john houston could have gotten away with this ending like i don't i don't see any other director pulling it off the same way um because it is it is very touching um moment by the very end but it's also mixed with his panache for action and intensity and uh, that gung ho attitude that I'm like, this is, this is like unique to him. And this also a movie where he's directing something very, very moving and very, very sincere, which is not what you would normally associate with John Houston to my mind. Now there's a lot of films of his that I still haven't seen, um, but I'm going to have to go through as I do this series. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping that the ones I haven't seen among them, some of them feel more like the African Queen. Um, Judge Roy Bean has some stuff in that, too, in that respect, too. But I, I'm hoping I see a little bit more of it. As I keep going through some of these films of his. Um, and it was great to see it with the film club. Everybody had a fun time. Um, one of my compatriots in that film club, Kev Moore, has a has a show about a studio called Amicus Films, which, Ryan, have you ever heard of Amicus? Uh uh-uh. They are a British-ish production company uh, that 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 produced uh, like a, a, a minuscule amount of movies that range all across the gamut. And I've been listening to his show, and he's done. Uh, they they were the ones who produced the House That Drip Blood, um, is how you might know them. And so I was like, I want to start watching some of these movies because I don't think I've ever seen any of them. And so I started with a movie called From Beyond the Grave from 1974, and it's an anthology film. Uh, it's the, the, the basic wraparound is that Peter Cushing runs the most haunted antique shop ever. Um, everybody goes in to buy an item, uh, and that item ends up being cursed. Uh, in many ways, like a bunch of the different people who are buying from him are trying to cheat him in some way. Uh, and a lot of the the overall wraparound like uh, on the news message is money is the root of all evil. But the first one starts with um, uh, a man buying a mirror and cheating Peter Cushing out of its actual value um, and putting it up on his wall and his friends and him hold a seance because it's seance time. And uh, the mirror um, through the seance, a man appears through the mirror and tells David Warner, who's playing the young man, to kill uh, people for him to feed him so that he can come out of the mirror. And then once he's done 
being fed, well, you, your imagination goes from there. And then there's um, other stories, one involving a very eccentric um, uh, master of elementals. Um, and But the one story that I loved the most because it was the craziest Take a take a wild guess, Ryan, as to who which one would be my favorite, none other than the segment with Donald Pleasance and his daughter. <laughs> I had never known, I had never seen this movie. So, first of all, Donald Pleasance isn't doing the elegant accent. He's doing very much like it's a very I I I, I don't know the difference between accents in Britain per se, but it's it's a very like it sounds like working class. He's a he plays a man who is was a part of the army uh who's selling matchsticks and shoelaces and a man who was in the army but at a very menial position uh it runs into him and becomes an acquaintance of him after pretending to uh, uh pass for a major officer who was highly decorated and P- donald pleasance introduces him to his daughter and his daughter is played by again donald pleasance's own daughter is literally like just a dead-eyed like vacant expression and what you learn is is that she's on the (laughs) part of it is she's on the lookout for him to be her next her her husband and she uses voodoo curses in order to basically change his fate in life uh i won't spoil the twist because ryan i think you should watch this movie and i think you will I think you might get a kick out of the twist in that particular story. Um, and then also um, it's, I think it's just very well thought out and very inventive. Not every story worked for me. Um, I thought the last one with the door, uh, there's a door that's haunted that when you hinge it onto something and you open it, it takes you into this kind of like burial of souls um, ran by a man in a very flamboyant costume. Uh, it wasn't my favorite. I liked the ending of it and how they resolved it, but I wasn't a fan of the story in general. Um, but most of them work. Uh, so I'm kind of fun. I'm ha- I'm gonna have some fun with this Amicus Productions company and um, the show that my friend runs. Amicus is here is really good. It's like he's giving you all this information on these like this unknown company to most. Um, and then I picked up the curse of frankenstein because i've only seen a few horror hammer horror films um the ones i remember are dracula prince of darkness the hound of the baskervilles which i didn't realize until this week wasn't a a hammer film (laughs) um i just knew it was peter cushing and christopher lee in in hound of the baskervilles i had no idea hammer had anything to do with it um and their their version of the mummy so i thought well i'll start off with the one that ryan's been talking about so much so i watched the curse of frankenstein with peter cushing and christopher lee Ryan, this is a good movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Yeah, not my favorite Frankenstein movie, but I really like that they allow Cushing's portrayal of Dr. Frankenstein to be an asshole. Like, and I'm talking like an above the surface asshole. (laughs) Like, if anybody's not seen this movie, it's basically the story of Frankenstein, but they they add their own little twist to it. And one of them is being that Baron Victor von frankenstein is a massive tool uh and peter cushing he was plays always him. a massive tool zach but, but but corinne this is this there's some sympathy in other frankenstein stories that i've seen like some traces of sympathy i feel no sympathy for peter cushing's baron von frankenstein here 
<laughs> I mean, uh, Frankenstein starts the whole story creating a thing and then immediately abandoning it. Like yeah, the I, worst I, father ever. I know. I'm talking about the movies here. In the movies, the angle on Victor von Frank on Victor Frankenstein is that he suddenly realizes he's meddled in things he shouldn't have meddled in. Peter Cushing doubles down on the meddling. Like it it they allow him to be that essence of the character. They don't really redeem him, which I appreciate. Um, and it's a hammer film right off the bat. Plenty of open women with open shirts. Um, Christopher Lee playing a, a, a brutal looking monster. Their version of the blind man and the kid comboed into one. Like it, it looks like it, it's, it's kind of beautiful to watch. And Ryan, you're right. That restoration looked amazing. That was remarkable. Now, did you watch both uh, matted, matted versions? Uh, yeah. Okay, I only watched the 166 one, so I need to watch the 185 one next. Yeah, I'm uh I'm kind of weird when I really like a Blu-ray to make my list. I usually watch them a bunch of times and if they have different versions of the film, I'll watch them multiple times. So yeah, I've I've seen Curse of Frankenstein 3 times this year. Nice. Very cool. Um they, oh yeah, that's right. They have the TV version in there too. That's right. Ah god, dang. That thing is packed. Uh, and the special features on that are fucking incredible, guys. If you are looking to uh, take a look at something really cool that Warner Archives has put out, I mean, they put out a lot of cool stuff, but this is a this is a true treasure in their um, uh, collection here. Um, I watched Lost Horizon for the first time. And I texted Ryan thinking, like, I thought I saw this movie, but I guess I didn't. So here's the here's the basic pitch of Lost Horizon. It's a Frank Capra movie. And it's a movie that in, in its current form is under a restoration that features photo reconstruction of scenes that they don't have the film elements for. The story involves a diplomat who helps save a bunch of people from a Chinese revolt. Uh, their plane is hijacked as they're escaping the, the revolt and it crash lands in a mountain in the Himalayas where they arrive in Shangri-La and it's learned through there that they were brought there for a reason. And Shangri-La is this paradise environment where nobody ages everything's pristine everything's very zen-like and calm and the movie is very much a meditation on living in a perfect world versus the world where everything is at fault and it's funny ryan because it's uh it's it's weird it's weird to watch it unless you understand that this is capra in 1937 this isn't even capra during the war so like it it has a very different outlook on the state of the world at that point compared to where it would probably be, I want to say like two, three years down the line for him. Um, so uh, I, it, it, it has Ronald Coleman in it, who Ronald Coleman for me primarily, apart from the tale of two cities is Jack Benny's next door neighbor on radio watching him in here. Like I'm, I'm transfixed by him and I want to watch some more of his stuff. Obviously, like I, the only other thing that I really connected with him on is he had, he did a radio show with his wife, Benita Hume called the halls of Ivy of which I've listened to some episodes and he, he has a lot of talent, but like watching him perform in this particular film is quite, quite remarkable. Um, 
So yeah, if you're looking for an interesting, albeit very long movie, that's the thing. It does drag a little bit, but I still recommend people check it out. It is very, very beautiful looking. Uh, this restoration is pretty damn incredible. Um, like the stuff that was already existing, they clearly cleaned the shit out of because um, it it's it has plain sequences that are not as good as Only Angels Have Wings, but they are pretty damn good to watch, Ryan. Um, and then the last thing I watched is something that Ryan and I have bandied about back and forth on the show itself for the past, I want to say a couple months since it was announced. Um, I watched Terror in the Isle. <laughs> um, so, Ryan, you haven't watched it yet, have you? Or did you even get uh, it? No, I didn't get it, no. Okay. I- I'm going to go ahead and tell you that because the last time I made a blind recommendation to you, you did it and you weren't completely satisfied. If this goes on sale, get it. But I, I got to tell you, this is probably one of the coolest things I've ever picked up from Scream Factory because I had no idea this thing existed. It's a compilation movie slash documentary. It's basically that's entertainment um, for horror movies. So like that's entertainment was this, way that MGM was able to capitalize on its library of footage by showing a lot of dance sequences and musical numbers. And they did like several volumes of this. The terror in the aisles is basically supposed to be that. And the guy who directed it was basically looking to do compilation films that saluted movies like this. So he started with horror. He was going to do one about dance films next. And, uh, it starts, it, it, it has no plot. First of all, let's get it off the way. It has no plot it goes through the tropes of horror movies using the different clips that they were able to license for a flat fee of $4,000. And when, and this was all going into universals uh, into a universal movie. When the other studios found out that this movie was making a lot, a pretty good chunk of money and all the money was going only to universal and they weren't getting paid any royalties on their clips they suddenly shut down the practice of these flat licensing fees. <laughs> and so he wasn't able to do this dance film next, but the wraparound segments all take place in a movie theater. And it's basically selling you on the concept of horror movies. One of the participants is Nancy Allen. Um, she has some actually very sincere moments about how women are treated in horror movies. And it's actually kind of like ahead of its time. But then the other person who's in these uh, wraparounds is Donald Pleasance. And of course they give him the craziest things to do. And the only thing I have to equivocate it with is when I watch Patrick Stewart in the uh, MGM documentary where it's just like, you don't not belong here, but why are they asking you to do these things there? It's it's, it works more here for Donald Pleasance because he's playing off of his horror icon persona. Uh, But there's just, if you watch something out of context, it can be funny. And one of these things is like a couple watching a horror movie and then Donald Pleasant's popping his head up going like shocking. Wasn't it like it's, it's, it's just kind of goofy to watch him do these things. But then there's other moments where like it hits the right emotion that it's supposed to, for what this doc wants me to feel like he's just going like, like at one point he's just like, at some point we all have to go home and then he leaves an empty theater. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of chilling. Um, but yeah, no, so it, it, it's, I think it's a movie that you watch out of curiosity. And what's more, the, the, 
I'm amazed that this Blu-ray is filled to the brim with special features. There's interviews with Nancy Allen. There's an interview with the editor of this film. Um, there's an interview with the composer. All these, because uh, they had to change some of the music, Brian. Like they had the, the music embedded in the clips, but they were trying to write music around it to transition the clips. And uh, all of them are done through Skype because this was still being produced during the mid of the pandemic. Uh, and, uh, there's a commentary that I still haven't gotten to, and I'm, I'm dying to, to dive into it. Cause it's one that I can literally listen to and not have to pay attention to parts of the movie. Cause I'm just like, tell me the story of how this got made. Um, so yeah, if, if you are curious about it, it's not, not worth your, your money. Um, but if you are not in the mood to watch this kind of experiment, uh, then I would wait until it's available elsewhere. But apparently this is a very popular item, Ryan, in, in horror fandom that I wasn't aware of. Like, I might have been for people who of the earlier VHS era who had, you know, like, got a copy of this and saw these clips and then go and check out these movies. Uh, but so, yeah, that's all I watched this week. No, so that's one I've always wanted to watch. There used to be these, um, I forget what they were, Paramount did a version of it but it was like uh scream greats i think is what they were called really and, yeah like one was um the it'd be like tom savini and then one would be vampires and werewolves they used to be before uh my friday the 13th vhs's i had Ooh, um, this seems cool Did yeah you know, I've, I've i'll, I've I'll loan this them. to you ryan i'm gonna loan yeah. this to you you need to watch it cool um I didn't watch too much this week. I showed my kid The Rocketeer um, because we do have Film Explosion 1991 coming pretty soon. Um, and this film was released in 1991. It's a it's a fun little movie. Um, it, what makes it really fun is I, I like the aesthetic. I like the idea of a, um, a superhero from that time period, kind of uh, art deco superhero. And, and it's just a cool character design The Rocketeer is. Just a cute it's, movie. Um, it's the it's the best forties pulp movie in the nineties. Yeah, technically, yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Johnston would go on to you know direct Captain America, and he seems like a natural fit after you watch The Rocketeer again. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's just a it's just a fun movie. It's about a dude who is a, I guess, a stunt pilot finds this rocket that he straps to himself and becomes a hero. Um, yep. That's about it, but it's pretty fun. Um, I've never seen it, Ryan. Would I like it? Oh yeah. It's, it's a great movie. Like it's, um, it's a PG superhero movie and it kind of has a Dick Tracy vibe to it. Like one of the bad guys looks like he could be in Dick Tracy. Um, I've never and seen Dalton Dick is, Tracy, so I don't know what that means. Um, like, uh, he's really exaggerated in his appearance. Hmm. Um, so it's campy? And, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but Timothy Dalton is the main villain in it, and he kind of plays an Errol Flynn type of character. Um, is it as so campy as The Shadow? Uh, it's, it's, it's more heartfelt than The Shadow. It's got more sincerity than The Shadow. Yeah, suck it, Zach. <laughs> I, yeah, I, um, I'm not unaware of the movie that I love being a, a, a misfire. So, 
So yeah, so yeah, if you uh, yeah, it has more heart than the um, than the shadow, and it's there's more sincerity to it, and it's not so. It's not. <laughs> it's not stupid like the shadow. Um, yeah, it's it's a good movie. I, I it should be on Disney Plus. I don't know. I have the Blu-ray. Um, I, I didn't look for it on Disney Plus. Um, Check. Uh, I watched the uh, original Mortal Kombat from 1995, um, and you know it's it has a really great pace to it. Of course, the soundtrack is really kind of legendary in that movie. Um, the yes, dialogue. the Rocketeer is on Disney Plus. Cool, check it out. Um, yeah, it's as I'm watching it again. I mean, the movie's still pretty fun, but it goes through a lot of uh, fan service, where you know Shang Tsung is always saying stuff, you know, fatality, flawless victory. When the dude gets punched, you know that's not a flawless victory, Shang Tsung. Come on, um, but it's uh, it's a fun movie and. The only thing that it hurts it is it's one of those movies that was a mid-budget 1990s movie, and they relied on CGI for some of the stuff, and it just looks bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. And Christopher Lambert as Raiden really seems miscast, but you know, it's there. It's fun. Uh, the still book from Best Buy is really cool. All they did was take the discs that already exist on Blu-ray and put them in a steel book. So if you don't want to spend the twelve ninety nine on this deal book, you don't have to if you're already on the Blu-rays. It's um it's fun. And I'm debating if I'm gonna watch the second one because that one's one of the worst movies ever. But we'll I see. Tried to watch it and I don't yeah, I don't remember anything. It was so like the first five minutes were just so bad. Yeah, it's one of those movies that cause you know, as a fan of Mortal Kombat and or a fan of Resident Evil or whatever, I, I kind of have a soft spot for those things. You know, you can never really turn your back on stuff you love, but that one doesn't have very many redeeming qualities. Um, and I don't know the last time I saw it. It's probably been 10, 15 years. Um, I've never seen it on Blu-ray, so I, I, don't, I don't know. That I couldn't tell you if it looks great on Blu-ray. Um, yeah, right maybe, out of the gate, right out of the gate, like it's so CGI heavy and it's CGI from that era, so it's just like, oh my god. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember Johnny Cage dies like in the first five minutes. Um, hmm. it, it's just yeah, it's not good. At least in the f- it's, first one, Goro was animatronic, so yeah, something right I mean, there. Yeah, it, I mean, he looks kind of silly in it, but at the same time, you really appreciate the artistry that they had to do to bring him to life. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Cause I was, I was watching an interview with uh, Paul W. Sanderson, the director. And he, uh, I remember him saying that that Goro costs like $10 million or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do, you know, the, in the first movie, I do love the scene with him and Kano and some things have stuck, you know, Kano was never Australian until the movies to the first movie and now he's Australian and like it gets canon that he's Australian. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so I'm excited for the new one because the new one takes a little more seriously. And I think focusing on, um, cause the animated movie did too is on sub zero and scorpions kind of rivalry. 
is the most compelling story of Mortal Kombat. So um, hopefully if the new one will do it justice. Um, and uh, the last thing I watched was um, a Carol Lombard movie from 1931, uh, co-starring William Powell called Man of the World. Yes. Uh, it's really interesting. I, you know, I was watching it and I was like, man, this movie's really just like scrunched on my screen. And then I went back and I, um, this is how much when you know you're a movie nerd. I went back to the IMDb page to see, you know, what um, framing of the film it was. And it's a pre code film. And before there was a standard of the 1.33, uh, this film was shot in 1.20. So I go, oh, this is really like truncated because yeah, I never really noticed it before, but very much a- so. I'm not an expert on it, but there's a thing on there's a thing on one of the criterions that I own for Chaplin where they discuss the aspect ratios. I didn't pay a a bunch of attention to it, but so I went and I researched it. Um, The one three three became the Motion Picture Association standard for film. I I forget the year, but this was before because it's uh, obviously pre code Mm -hmm. and. in it, William Powell plays a novelist who is now working for like a newspaper and he's trying to blackmail the, uh, this guy named Harry, who is the uncle of uh, Carol Lombard. And when he's trying to blackmail him, he obviously falls in love with Carol Lombard. And uh, is, it, is he going to basically the rest of the movie, is he going to go through with his blackmail scheme or is he going to, you know, win out with Carol Lombard? Uh, yeah. It's one of the ones it, in that collection I still got to watch. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's okay. Uh, it's not one of her best movies. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot like um, Fast and Loose, which is the other one I've watched in the collection. Where she, you can. The thing with this great about Carol Lombard is you can tell she's a great actress, and mm-hmm. even in the early stuff, you can tell she was going to be a star because she yeah. just commands the screen, and she's really. Uh, and the, what I do like about these ones is it's they're more of kind of dramas then they're not comedies but she's still really great in them and uh, she's a pretty great actress yeah she didn't um, find the comedy niche until a little bit later and yeah i mean almost you know her last couple of movies are comedies and then you know she tragically died but yeah um, this is actually also bef- just before she marries william powell um yep they're married together this is for the, years yeah, yeah this is the film they met on so yep and uh, uh, and, and he's great in it you know he's he's one of those actors too who's really great in things yeah um, oh god you you're i mean are you picking up the thin man series as that comes out on blu-ray ryan uh no oh god maybe, maybe i should just loan you the dvd set they still look good but the thin man series will make you fall in love with william, william powell man like if, if you ever wanted to watch the most positive drunk in the world it's it's nick it's nick charles man <laughs> He's not, he's, he, yes, he's, yes, he is pre-code, ir- he is, he is irresponsible, but he solves the mystery with the help of his wife and his dog. And it is always charming. Always. Even though the movies are bad, always charming. Um, but yeah, I, I got to check this one out now. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah. If you pick up the Carol Lombard volume one, I think it's still like $26 on amazon I, oh and, i've got that one i'm, I'm waiting for volume two <laughs> i i mean it in as in general um so i mean you're only paying 
seven dollars the movie so yeah or nine dollars a movie i mean you're it's it's well worth it if you like early stuff i mean if you don't like pre-code stuff i wouldn't get it but if you don't like pre-code stuff you won't watch night nurse and that means i don't like you (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh yeah that's what i watched this week uh this week on real nerds we stomped into some of us stomped into theaters to see Godzilla versus Kong. Corinne, should people watch Godzilla versus Kong? Well, I gotta say, I was not one of those people who stomped into a theater. I just watched this at home on HBO Max. And you know what? I would not be opposed to watching it again in a theater because there were some parts of the movie that I was like, damn, I really wish I could have seen this on the big screen. Um, Overall, it's pretty entertaining, but there is like a like the A storyline is awesome and it has like a lot of good tension filled moments and it's well paced. And I was like, OK, yeah, I want to see what happens with this. But then they keep cutting away to the B storyline. And I'm like, oh, these people are so annoying and they're trying to be funny and it's not funny at all. And it's just frustrating and irritating. So and then they get to the big fight and it's hard to root for the fight when they're just killing millions of people. So, eh. and also I got to say, I have not seen the Godzilla and the King Kong movie in this universe. I have seen Godzilla King of the monsters and this. So I was kind of team Kong going into the movie, especially once you kind of get more information. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised with the outcome. I'll say that. it's 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 a it's fine it's people you know it's it's probably worth seeing in the theater if brad, they feel safe see, brad should people see godzilla versus kong uh yeah i guess um i i think i i made myself clear on my uh my meme that i made <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so i saw it in the theater and admittedly I think right after Brian Ty- Tyree Henry's character like infiltrates Apex and Godzilla destroys it, I fell asleep. And then I woke up when Millie Bobby Brown and the kid from Deadpool 2 show up in the van. And I was like, oh, I fell asleep for like a minute. It's fine. I didn't miss anything. Um, the The... F- the benefit of having this on HBO Max is that I was able to revisit the movie at the end. I was like, man, I missed a lot of crucial information uh, <laughs> in this movie and in what was actually like more like 10 minutes. So uh, I still think it's funny you fall asleep in movie theaters. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd also been like up late the night before on that one. But um, yeah, so but yeah, in, in rewatching it at home, like the first kaiju battle isn't until 45 minutes into the movie and like that was the most frustrating part is there's only like it seems like there's three monster battles but there's really only two because two of them are just the last was just broken up briefly uh but it's in the same battle so like and that's why i go to these is to watch those things happen which means there's like another hour and a half of just these side characters that i don't have a ton of investment in so um you know Kong's journey is probably the best part about it, but the rest of it, it really is very similar to Batman versus Superman. Um, like there's even like a Lex Luthor guy pitting them against each other. Um, 
and 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 a doomsday at the end. So yeah, it, it's all right. It's you know if you're if you're going to watch monsters fight, the final battle is great. You'll um you like that's worth it alone. But everything else, I'm just like I'll probably skip over over and over again. Really like it when Wonder Woman showed up and helped uh, Godzilla <laughs> and Kong fight Doomsday. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Zach? Um, yeah, you should. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I I was curious going in if it would be as long as the other entries in the series um, to whatever degree or another. And it feels it, it's compact. It's concise. For the most part, it gets straight to the point. Uh, the the this, the human stories, again, are the weaker elements of this. But I'm kind of in Corinne's camp with the A story being the stronger element in the film. Um, and there are there are things about it that I. I kind of just appreciated how honest it's uh, honest with itself. It was. Um, and I do think that the final battle sequences are pretty fucking fun to watch. They're not like the most masterful thing I've ever seen, but they're pretty damn fun to watch. So yeah, I would definitely go check it out. I, I saw this on HBO max. I'm going to go to the theater um, at some point to watch this on a biggest screen as possible. Cause it's also really, we should say it's a pretty short film. So it's not like you're, wasting an entire like three hour afternoon or whatever. So go in and have a good time for a good two hour and you, you walk out having fun. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with this movie. I did see it in a theater. And what was really cool is I, I took Kellen on a Wednesday night, you know, and he had school the next day. Um, But it was fun. One of the fun things was, is when we were at the theater, the theater was packed. Um, The, even the, the whole uh, theater was packed, not just mine. It's kind of cool seeing people see movies like that again. And it's even more fun when you're in the theater and when they're fighting and everything shakes um, because it's so loud and um, the destruction is so intense. Um, so, yeah, I think you should see it. I had a lot of fun with the movie. Um, I think the special effects are incredible in it. And uh, yeah. Here's the trailer for Godzilla versus Kong. This is our only chance. We have to take it. We need Kong. The world needs him. Stop what's coming. And this child, she's the only one he'll communicate with. I knew that they had a bond. She had nowhere to go, so I made a promise to protect her. And I think that in some way, Khan did the same. Godzilla. 
These are dangerous times. Godzilla's out there and he's hurting people and we don't know why. There's something provoking him that we're not seeing here. I'm of the same opinion. The myths are real. There was a war. And they're the last ones standing. I keep reaching for greatness because I'm built from it. Who bows to who? Nobody gonna stop for me. Kong bows to no one. Uh, in Godzilla vs. Kong, um, Godzilla attacks uh, someplace in Florida, and people think it's unprovoked. So they need someone to stop Godzilla from attacking things. So they bring Kong from Skull Island, and then they fight. Yeah, uh, that's not exactly how it works. They're using oh, Kong to try to find the hidden world or the empty world or some shit. Because they need some mumbo jumbo for the. Well, we find out that it's actually for the Mega Godzilla or whatever. Uh, I have a question. What happened to Charles Dance from the end of the other movie? Like, wasn't that like a whole organization? Or is that just Apex? Uh, he was eating. Yeah, maybe he know. sold it to Apex because he did have. Um, he did find the King Ghidorah head at the end of the last movie. I think that was the post credit scene. Yeah, and then they turned it into the Apex thing. So I'm like... Yeah, uh, oh, and by the way, uh, that's exactly how the movie starts, Corinne. And it isn't until later in the movie that you find out that they're digging for uh, other stuff. I was, I was building up to it, you know, like the movie unfolds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I thought, like, basically the synopsis that you had, Ryan, of, you know, basically they, they were going to use Kong to challenge Godzilla as, like, the alpha titan or whatever bullshit... But no, they use Kong for like this whole other thing to go to the Hollow Earth. They need a guide. Yeah, they need. Yeah, a guide. I was honestly kind of surprised. I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't you try to have Kong fight Godzilla since he's the only one who hasn't um, submitted to him as the Alpha? As we learned yeah. from that first fight, God, King Kong is not strong enough to take on Godzilla alone. Well, but, I, mean, I think it, part of that was the environment. Like, he just, you know, he can't fight in the water like Godzilla can. So if they were on land, it would be more even. But but, but there wasn't a lot that? of land. You know, he was fighting on top of the aircraft carriers what, and it kept what, breaking. But what did we see in that second fight, Corinne? We saw that even on land, Godzilla was kicking the shit out of him. Mm, he got, he got some his, pretty good hits in. He Admittedly, good, he, he needed he got, his axe, though. He needs his axe, but also he even with the good punches he blows, he still gets his, Godzilla gets his foot right on Kong's chest. So, you know, we yeah the um you know the opening uh, I thought it was really cool the opening too with the the little girl who's in it is really good. Um, oh yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, where you find out Skull Island is no longer, and that Kong is kind of in a Truman show. Like, he's in a, like holographic containment is that, how, is that how skull island ended like they got him off the island i don't remember it very well no skull island uh ended with them like oh there's more monsters because skull island took place i think in right the 70s? after yeah Vietnam. The 70s, yeah yeah they just confirmed the existence of kong so at some point yeah. so at some point they went to the island picked him up and started the kong research team it's That's like a- 
that was another uh, thing that confused me. I was like, how much sedative do they have for this guy? Like, or how do they, they never uh, really the T-Rex, uh, <laughs> amount from, you know, uh, Jurassic park to San Diego. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was constantly wondering like how, you know, how do they sedate him? How is like a couple helicopters, like how do they roll him onto that net? Like, I just don't see. They show him the yeah, 70s yeah, remake you need of King Kong your, and puts him to sleep. Just yeah, shut you, your brain off, Brad. I was just going to say that too, Corinne. In those movies, you really can't, you know, peel the layers back. Just know that they're fighting on top of ships and um, breaking stuff. How fast are these apex ships? Because they get to the center of the earth like really fast. <laughs> like... It, 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 they, they explain in that heavy exposition scene that they are super cool and super impressive. And that's all I needed to know. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. Powered with enough energy to power Las Vegas for a week. Yes, exactly. Which proves to be the only thing that can re- revive Mr. Kong uh, after his fatal blows in the city, courtesy of Mr. Gajira. Also, how uh, are people still like having normal lives in the city? Like we've had several, especially the last movie, destructive kaiju events. Like, and it just seems like people are still going about their daily lives. Yeah, like, they, you think they have Titan shelters? Yeah, you didn't see the Titan shelters, like <laughs> tornado shelters. And I they didn't. said it's been three years since Godzilla last was seen. So yeah, I mean, it's been relatively quiet. He's 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 been leaving them in peace, and then all of a sudden, Damian Bashir's business guys trying to muscle in on godzilla's territory and he's just like well no fuck that shit and that's why he has to go out and do his business actually am i wrong in assuming this basically really is a kong movie it's but it's got godzilla in it yeah kong gets way more screen time yeah well i think yeah i think kong is the more sympathetic character anyways i mean he's just set up that way i mean whether you go from the 33 king kong to now it's just who he, he is you know he, he has more he, he has more for the audience to last latch on to whereas godzilla is a rogue agent he doesn't care he he may be your ally and he may be your enemy depending on what mood of he is in the day it just yeah. it, it all depends on what godzilla wants to do because he is godzilla it's like um, they didn't give him a family a at the end like i totally expected now that he's found like the hollow earth that there'd be others like him there but ooh, like a son of kong or Mighty Joe Young, but now he's still alone. It's kind of sucks. I, well, well, I think I mean, it's, he uh, becomes hollow. like king. You know, that's where he gets the King Kong because he sits on the throne and stuff. He's got the axe, um, and you just hear that swelling music, yeah. and you're like, ah, King Kong. Also, why does Godzilla <laughs> attack him in the ocean at all? Like, because they set up that um, Godzilla's like can sense that there's other kaiju threats, so he's like out to like remain the king. But like, uh, King Kong has been like on Skull Island since the seventies, and he never bothered to like go over there. So he waits till Kong is sedated and not a threat at all in the ocean to pick on him. Like, you you know what, Godzilla? Well, 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 the the first one established that Godzilla was awoken, awakened. Yeah, in the the current era, because of other uh, emerging kaiju's on Skull Island, and Godzilla doesn't have to worry about him. Yeah, yeah and so also, maybe by the time that Godzilla came out of hibernation or whatever, Kong was already in like that containment unit. I don't know. I go, yeah. I go back to Andy Daly's quote when he did L. Ron Hubbard on Dead, Dead Authors podcast. Everybody went into hiding in the seven days. <laughs> so if so, my assumption is Godzilla was just chilling out at his pad. And then all of a sudden, 
the the scientists in the 2014 one woke him up and he was like holy shit that fucking noise and he gets up there and that's when he starts tearing shit apart it's been a while since i've seen the 2014 one and uh uh kong of skull island and king of the monsters but you know like i've had fun with these movies and this one was just a nice like little capper to it like they could end it right here and i'd be totally satisfied i know yeah you know uh the the second fight that takes place in the neon lights i mean i thought it was incredible and i love um how kong was using you know the buildings to kind of swing across and jump and mm-hmm. um you know it's just lots of fun and that uh, scene that brad uh you know referenced uh made a meme out of in the theater when they're roaring at each other it was intense like it literally shook the theater and um the the sound design was incredible and I remember Kellen and I left and we were uh, walking past another theater that was shown and it was at that part and you could hear it as clear as day out in the lobby too. <laughs> um, so it, to me, it's, it was just really fun to see an event movie like that again and in a theater and, um, and the movie was fun. Like, I mean, the, the story with the humans is stupid. Um Especially I mean, the, the B storyline with Millie Bobby Brown's character and the other two idiots. Yeah, you know, like the harnessing of this energy from Hollow Earth, that how they knew this energy was there, I don't know. <laughs> also, how and, the hell did they build some, like, maglev thing from Pensacola, Florida, all the way to Hong Kong, and, like, billions of people don't know about it? Well, well, Corinne, we have to we, we have to acknowledge... Because evil corporations, doy. <laughs> but we also have to establish, Corinne, that this movie takes place in the world where every conspiracy theory ever exists, even to the point of the hollow earth or whatever. I I don't know. There's... Brian Tyree Henry's podcast gags got chuckles out of me, but they weren't, they weren't really sincere chuckles. They were just like, really? We're making jokes about podcasting again. Okay, cool. Right on. It's an interesting gateway for Millie Bobby Brown's character. I like that Julia Dennison kid. He's in hunt for the wilder people, Taika Waititi's movie, which is wonderful. And he's great in it. Um, He's from Deadpool too, right? Yeah, he yeah. plays the kid in Deadpool too, but you need to watch Hunt for the Wilder People because that's 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 his breakout and he's amazing in it. I think that's on HBO Max as well. Yep. So check it out. But yeah, anyway, the the bottom line, like that B story, I think it, it it's it's not great, but I but it does kind of it, it gives enough like B movie cheesiness to everything to just kind of have fun and sit back with. I, I Damian Bashir's bad guy character like i like that he's like sparingly used and he's only used exactly when it's necessary and then they they kill him off like as quick as they can uh when i saw mega godzilla pop up that's when i real remembered oh yeah the first two godzilla movies found a way to pop up other godzilla villains in here so this naturally would would happen i just completely i was kind of actually taken aback i'm like oh okay but then i got excited I was like, oh, I know how the movie's going to end now. So I can just sit back yeah, and, and I, enjoy the fight. <laughs> I love that Kong performed like two or three fatalities in the movie, you know, ripping yeah. heads off. And <laughs> Oh, yeah. Did you? Oh, God. I, I don't think I've ever Drinking seen this. Drinking that one monster's blood. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember this in the other Godzilla movies, Ryan, but does Godzilla ever smile? Because he gives an evil smile in this movie. It's fucking uh, cool. He, oh, yeah, he totally does. Remember in the uh, 
uh, the 70s one where he takes Jessica Lange's top off. He smiles and it's really weird. No, no, not Kong. Godzilla. Oh, Godzilla. Oh, yeah. No, Kong, no, 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 not Kong. No, yeah. <laughs> um, Kong smiles in the 33 version. <laughs> he always smiles. No, Godzilla, though, so. he gives that like he gives that devilish grin going like, eh, I got you now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I I don't I, think so. I don't we, think so. This movie definitely shows Godzilla more than most movies show Godzilla, even though he's not really, you know, the A monster. He's still in it quite a bit. And yet he gets top billing. I don't know about that, guys. It sounds well, like there were some contract disputes behind the scenes. Kong and Godzilla hashing it out, you know? Well, my guess is because King Kong is owned by Warner Brothers yeah. and Godzilla is still owned by his company in Japan. Oh, Toho, yeah. Yeah, so Toho. So they, I'm sure they had to work something out. And I'm sure there's probably rules that yeah. Godzilla couldn't do and could do. Well, and it, it, yeah, well, I, I, I haven't read the article, but I saw a headline about like there was a, a rule that Toho had that Wingard convinced them to break. I don't know what it was, but um, it, it does make me want to go through the uh, all of the Toho films now and kind of go on this journey because I rewatched Gajira not too long ago for Ballyhoo and I, I got I got back invested into the idea of the whole thing. And I've enjoyed this whole series because uh, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, but that neon fight, Ryan, also what I like about it is that it helps distinguish the, them stylistically. It's it's not just two massive blobs fighting each other like it is in a Transformers movie. Obviously, Kong and Godzilla look different, but those lights kind of help help that scene a little bit, especially when, oh, they're, yeah. when they're facing each other and they do the growls in each other's faces. Like you see the green and red slashes on their face. Like it's fucking dope, man. Like I said, I, I think, I mean, I think the special effects in this movie are incredible. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, they, they didn't shy away from close-ups and showing the emotions of the monsters and mm-hmm. uh, the destruction had weight to it. I, I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and as far as the human stories, you know, I've, I've kind of realized like with all, with all of these reboot ones and then rewatching Gajira from, from the fifties, it's nothing's ever going to top that one film when it comes to that allegory. And this is coming from somebody who's not seen the subsequent sequels, but the, uh, the whole idea of that allegory that the first Godzilla possesses, I don't think you're ever going to hit the enormity of that anymore. So when, when we do complain about the human stories, it's almost like we're complaining about something that we can't, we're not going to be able to change anyway. Cause it's almost like you need these things. Otherwise you're watching you know, like you're just watching a monster fight and something has to ground it. The little girl with Kong is the grounding point that actually works for this movie. Like it's actually that storyline is really fun to watch unfold. Um, so I kind of wish Which is the- why it was frustrating when they kept cutting away to the B storyline. I'm like, ah, what the I, hell? I, I know, but you need to satisfy Godzilla fans as much as Kong fans. This this movie has to it. Everybody's got to have their moment in the sun, Corinne. Um, and, but I mean, I agree, you know, it is annoying when you cut back to it and I like all the actors involved in that B story. It just sucks that the material they they're given is not up to that level. Like Brian Tyree Henry is a wonderful actor. I wish they had given him something better to chomp on, but I think, uh, it's Wingard who directed your next and he shows all the energy that he possesses in those early films of his like shine through here. Like, yeah, I also think too that they probably cut a lot of 
story out of it. (laughs) Did you notice this movie is short for a blockbuster? (laughs) An hour and 45 minutes with 10 minutes of credits, guys. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. The last fight takes up, I'd say, at least a good 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. It knows what it is. It is not trying to beat anything other than what it is, which is two monsters fighting. Because also, like, the... Both Kong and Godzilla have their own separate mythologies, so combining them together, even from the seemingly even from the Toho perspective, for this particular Americanized remake, it sounds like you're 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 not going to satisfy everybody. So let's get to the point. <laughs> Haven't there been other Godzilla versus Kong movies though? Yeah, there have in the in the earlier Godzilla Toho run. They're right. ones I haven't seen, so I can't comment. Oh, they're they're really horrible. But if you want to laugh, you should watch them. I mean. They're pretty bad. If I need to <laughs> laugh, I'll just watch Ted Lasso again. So good. Everybody should check it out. Um, cool. Anything you want to add, Brad? No, I, I covered it, I think. Cool. I was uh, going to mention uh, about like Kong's family. It, it, I mean, we only got to see like part of the Hollow Earth, I thought. So I guess it is possible that he has family members running around and other parts of the hollow earth we didn't get to see there when might be but Kong, that's when end. we get kong to the incredible journey i mean if they continue with the franchise they they could definitely write it in if they really wanted to yeah just the ending it just shows them swinging around you think he'd have like an urgency to go find other people but they just the way they ended it just seemed like they're like nope he's alone so well at least he found where he belongs he found home i'm sure it saved a bunch of money by not rendering a bunch of other apes so there's <laughs> that i can't have um, a family don't have enough money <laughs> <laughs> the studio didn't have enough money for to give me a family, <laughs> a family. <laughs> <laughs> next week i don't know voyagers <laughs> mm. um or if you guys can think of something that's streaming um just let me know Okay. And till then, thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Yeah, we gotta fill two weeks now because now that Mortal Kombat's the word bye. (laughs) Oh my god, it's been ten years. Get over it. (laughs) (laughs) You can start saying aloha, Brad, because that's technically hello or goodbye. Mm. So maybe you're telling people hello. No, I wouldn't do that. That sounds really out of character for Brad. Yeah. How, how about uh, where we're going, we don't need roads or something that Brad likes? I don't need to say anything. Live long uh, and prosper. Mm. Mm. I think the show's as fine as it is without me doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, think if there's... we ever get Carol on oh, the show, Jesus we Christ. should also make Brad uh, say goodbye one day. Well, that's the series finale, Corinne. There you go. <laughs> I will say bye on the last episode. How's that? Okay. All right. When we're all dead. No, Brad, Brad and I will still be alive. <laughs> no, this show's a Highlander scenario. There can only be one. It's eventually we will kill each other. Oh, sweet. <sighs> Ryan, I, don't, I can't. Ryan's going to kill me first. Shit. Yeah, he's he's the one with a gun. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'd hope he'd be honorable enough to kill me like a man with his hands, but <laughs> that sounds too hard. 
<laughs> Find whatever lazy ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gosh, I don't know what we're gonna do for two weeks. Um, yeah. What is playing? Like that, uh, the Voyagers is that new movie that's coming. That's the only new movie coming out in the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. There's yes. gotta be something on streaming that's coming out. Well, we still haven't done Raya. Yeah, Disney. we could watch something that's already out that we haven't taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess there's also the Oscar shorts are playing in theaters. Yeah, we'll figure it out like we always do. Let's just review the Big Lebowski because it's playing in Sloan's like. <laughs> or we did Scott Pilgrim during the Nerdemic. So Ooh, that's we out. could do we could do Beauty and the Beast, you guys. We did Princess Bride last year. It's not the one I want to watch, Corinne. <laughs> You can watch them both. I don't care. Okay, I guess I could do that. I like the animated one. Could do a double header. Jeez. Yep. Um, yeah, we could do that. We could review the Great Mouse Detective and debate its legacy. <laughs> one of the most underrated Disney films ever. It is, and unfortunately, not everybody's going to feel that way, Corinne. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like we're back in theaters. We need to celebrate things that are in theaters as much as possible. I agree. So but there's yeah. not a lot in theaters. That's the problem. Well, there's that. Um, I mean, there is the horror film that Sam Raimi produced. I know it's not getting great reviews, but it might be fun to talk about. So, I mean, yeah, we can do the Unholy and Voyager. We may have two movies. We can definitely do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. All right. Until well, next week. Thanks. Won't be able to make it, but y'all have fun, boys and lady. <laughs> have a nice night. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.